0: You're listening to Kiss My Aesthetic, your go to podcast for bragworthy branding, marketing, and entrepreneurship advice. I'm your host, Michelle Winterstein of MKW Creative Co. Let's dive into the episode. Greetings and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. I cannot wait for you guys to hear from today's guest because she's like on social media, she kind of doesn't exist. But in real life, she does. Welcome to the podcast, Sydney.
1: Thank you so much for having me. As Michelle said, I rarely post on Instagram, but I do exist. I do look, you know, it's there.
0: Yes, of course. Oh, and when you're on a trip, like we get the stories from Miss Sydney. Shout out to Rose. (laughs) Hopefully she listens to this, Miss Sydney. But we were just on my birthday trip together. We were on your birthday trip together in Mallorca, and now we're both in the grind doing our business. But for anyone who doesn't know you yet, can you explain who you are, what you do, and a little bit on how you got started?
1: Sure. So again, my name is Sydney. I run Seaside Creative, and it is a digital marketing agency um, focused on content creators and e-commerce brands and helping them strategize, dive into their analytics and grow their revenue. For me, the content creators are in a very specific niche, which is typically over 40, over 50, over 60 women who are in the fashion, lifestyle and beauty space. So it's like working with your mom or your fun aunt. And it's a blast. And then Michelle and I work on Hotel Lobby Candle together. And then I have a few other clients on the e-comm
0: side as well. Oh my gosh. And there's tons to talk about. I think you have like such a good grip on business and marketing in general. And I think what we can talk about is kind of like how we are the opposite coast version of each other. Yes. (laughs) How do you explain who I am in relation to you when you meet someone new?
1: Okay. So basically, I put it this way. um, Michelle and I went to Miami for a work trip and immediately upon picking her up from the airport, we got in the car and it was like, we had been lifelong friends. And then we started talking about like, oh, we have this many siblings and we've done this and we've done that. And all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh, are we the same person? But you live on the West coast and I live on the East coast. And here we are. I mean, to think like outside of the birthday trips, like, We'd only met maybe three times in person uh-huh. and they were all for a work trip. So it's kind of crazy to be here now. But yeah, I mean, that's what I say.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think that even since being on team calls with Hotel Lobby Candle, like we have just a very similar approach to like life and business and travel. But your background is also graphic design. Yes and no. So
1: <laughs> indirectly, <laughs> indirectly. Undergrad was biology and Italian, double majors. That's right. So nothing. And then I did grad school and got a master's in web design and digital strategy. So that part kind of played into this. But yeah, I mean, I'm self taught graphic design, everything outside of like a little bit in the master's program.
0: Right. And we both love Canva. Yes. We love Canva. Canva is a godsend. Let's kind of talk about just to kind of give people context, like how we've worked together and what your skill set is with your clients. Obviously, with Hotel Lobby Candle, I stepped in with branding, packaging, and social to start, but now kind of more as creative direction role. How do you describe your role within Hotel Lobby Candle and then also like your roles and responsibilities with your other clients?
1: Okay, sure. So for Hotel Lobby Candle, I really have been in the email and text marketing space. So we use Klaviyo and I handle everything from the graphic design of email to up until now all the copywriting for that helping give you direction on the photo shoots of what I need for assets. And then I've also, up until recently, been managing different apps on the Shopify platform of making recommendations for back in stocks. All the VIP access has been me. Little things behind the scenes that you may not realize happen, but they do. Where did you learn all of that stuff? So before I started Seaside Creative, which was July 2020, my corporate job, I worked for a fashion brand. And I was pretty much the only person in-house for digital marketing and we were on Shopify Plus. And so I had to learn all of it. And then we would take recommendations from consultants, that kind of thing. And then, you know, it's kind of like with WordPress or whatever website you want to use. You go into the, you know, app store, plugin store, you find the best recommendations, you know, the top five star ones, and then you do your research. So it's a lot easier than you think. And then it's just follow the
0: directions to set it up. It's not as hard as a lot of people think it is. It's definitely not my world. And every time that I hear talk about it with Hotel Hobby Candle, I'm like, I'm so glad that's not my job because <laughs> I'm so not that person at all. But I think what must be some of the most satisfying thing about your job is that you can actually see conversions and see sales based on your work. Is that like something that gets you fired up or are you like, oh, I don't really like analytics, whatever? It's a combination. Like I like to see what's performing
1: well, what doesn't and then be able to take those insights and use them moving forward. But at the same time, like it really depends on the brand, the e-commerce brand, for example, that I'm working with of, do they have a budget for me to even dive into that? I mean, that's part of it. And then what is their limitations? What assets do they have? Like, you know, do they have video readily available or not? So there's a lot kind of within that space of identifying like, okay, here's what I can do, but not every client needs that full scope that you could potentially give.
0: But yeah, it is exciting. Walk us up that ladder on the influencer side. So like, obviously you have the e-commerce brands. That's definitely like, you know, that stuff, like you could do it with your eyes closed. On the influencer side, run us through the whole ladder of like, this is the base level that I can help someone versus this is like my full capacity. We're delivering this number of things per month for this many platforms or, you know, pieces of content.
1: Sure, yeah. So... Base level for working with a content creator influencer is just a monthly phone call. So I just sit there, go through. I give them SEO optimized blog posts to consider writing, brands to pitch if they're looking to, you know, get stuff for an upcoming post. Really, base level is a consult call, so an hour call a month, and then from there it really grows. So I probably have about ten content creators I work with on every month, whether it's just a phone call or more of a broader scope so that would be a weekly phone call and then with the older demographic I have they have a blog more so than social media and so you know we're ghostwriting two to three blog posts a week for them and then you know maybe setting up their newsletter and it really depends upon the client but for example like prime day a lot of my clients they're also competing with the Nordstrom sale and so What they're having me do is I'm going in, picking out the top things for, you know. here's what's predicted to be the best sellers, different things like that. I pick it all, I link it all. And then someone on my team writes it, I edit it and then do the graphics and it's ready to go. So it's kind of full service of it's there. They just review it and put it out. But I have stepped away. I learned my lesson. I step away from social media. Anything involving that is not me, but my business is set up. I don't have to do things on a daily basis. And so I pretty much have a week turnaround for most of my clients from when I meet with them to the next call to get things done. And with social, I just learned
0: I hated being on all the time. It's so funny because we really are the yin and the yang of it. Yeah. (laughs) Like just before we got on this call, I love that I could for San Diego Open, like pitch a brand on threads and see it come to fruition in like a few hours. Like that to me, it like gets me fired up So I think that it's, you have to figure out where you land. But I think just the fact that you only started your business in 2020 still floors me because I started back in 2014. And granted, I didn't scale up until 2020. Like I didn't have a team and take myself more seriously and show up in a more professional capacity until 2020. But I think there's been so many lessons since I started. What are some of the bigger lessons that you've learned since you started your business in 2020? Oh, gosh. I mean, I feel like
1: the landscape has changed so much just even in the last three years that there's been a lot to learn. But I would say, and this kind of goes along with everything in life, but trust your gut. If you have an initial phone call with someone and you're already iffy about them, like it's not worth the money, I'm telling you. And, you know, there have been times that I've passed down five, six-figure contracts because I just in my gut knew, like I will be their slave, which just sounds really bad. But that's where that line between being like a freelancer and contractor and full-time employee can get blurred. And then also just trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to do? So with my business, I knew I wanted to be able to travel. And so that's where, you know, being able to identify like, all right, what projects and what clients do I take on that will allow me to do that long term. And so that's where like trusting your gut really comes in. And then I think the other one, it's, A lot harder to do than you realize, but like admitting when you mess up, Mm -hmm. there's no one else to hold you accountable and so, or blame if there is the cost for blame. And so it's like, you have to be able to own up and like, realize, okay, this is what I did wrong. Here's how I'm going to do it better moving forward. And so for me, like emails, once an email goes out to thousands and thousands of people, I can't retract that. Yep. So I have to make sure that like everything is correct. Going out the door, there's not really a lot of room for error. And so there's been one or two times when maybe a wrong link's gone out or something. And I've just had to say, really sorry, here's how I'm going to do better moving forward. But that's a hard pill to swallow.
0: Oh, totally. I fall into the camp of like, and you lecture me on this in a good way, (laughs) in like a very friendly way of like biting off more than I can chew. I just talked about it with another kind of friend, colleague of mine of like, I just get so excited about things that I show all my cards. I'm like, we could do this. <laughs> it's like it's like so big. It's like trying to swallow the whole world all at once. How do you not do that? How do you find that balance between I'm excited and I want to go all the way, but I'm gonna not that you don't do that because I do think that you do, but how do you like rein it in? Because I struggle with that. And I think you do it in a really, really healthy way. That's where this question's coming from.
1: Okay, but also remember our business models are very different. So mine is not project based. So mine is set up where pretty much all my clients are occurring. So every month I, for the most part, know what income I have coming in the door, what work to expect. There's not a whole lot of variation for me. Yes, it comes in in the form of projects every now and then, but that's where, you know, I kind of have my deliverables, my responsibilities, and that like, I want to do everything for you. You know, my clients have other members on their teams as well. So it's not like I'm their sole person that they're working with, which I think is where I'm able to be like, here's my space that I'm in. I can't be everything to everyone and learn my boundaries. But I've learned that the hard way, you know, of saying yes to too many things. And then Like, kind of slapped on the wrist. And, you know, it's very easy to be like, I'm going to work at night. I'm going to work on the weekends. I'm going to work all the time. And especially being single, you fall into that. And I'm now three years in taking a step back and realizing just whatever it is, call it $20,000 or whatever that contract might be that's causing you the headache, it's not worth it. It's not worth it for your nights. It's not worth it for your free time, for your mental health. And so, I think that's kind of how I rein it in. of just like, what's making me happy at the moment? Where can I best serve my clients? And then being able to go from there and being like, okay, let me allow some room for those creative projects where I can brainstorm. But I also kind of get that out by like talking with you and talking with other people, being like, okay, I may not be doing it for my own business, but I will certainly give you ideas for yours.
0: Yes, and this is where you and I get like, I think that we saw this on my birthday trip with my friends. Is you and I start talking and people are like, "It's like you're on speed. Yeah. Like, are you guys okay?" Because we both have, and I actually like memed it over the weekend. It's the meme of like it's this picture of Wilson covering his eyes. Oh, I know. <laughs> Where it was like it goes. It's like me saying, "Well, what you should do is," and it's like anyone that knows me is like, "Oh God, here it comes." And I think sometimes we give people paralysis analysis. I'm going to be interviewing Lauren on the podcast in like two weeks. <laughs> Talk to her about this. But I think that you and I just endlessly have ideas. Like, I think because we know the landscape and we understand this whole digital era that we're in. And I think because you and I see how much money is out there. So much. It's wild. I think that that's where we're like, there's a disproportionate amount of money to the amount of talent. Like there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of money. And there's a lot of talented people that aren't going out and getting that money. So I guess if someone's listening to this podcast and they find themselves as like, I have this thing that makes me really special. Call it photography or illustration or they're an influencer. In the year 2023, right here, right now, if you were to help them, this is where I feel like brands are gonna grow or like where the next generation, the next cohort of people who leverage digital marketing could go with it. What do you think, like what gets you fired up?
1: Okay, so within my space, and I think there's a lot of room For everyone within this, I think brands are realizing unless they are working with a content creator or, you know, artist or whoever it is that's actually converting for them, they constantly need content. And you and I are seeing this with the brands we work with, right? And you're sitting there using Mid Journeys to come up with this. But UGC, the user-generated content once upon a time that existed, really no longer does. And everyone wants to no matter who you are, right? Like everyone can monetize it in some way if they're smart about it. So I'm seeing a lot of brands working with smaller individuals who might have a smaller following to serve as a model, to write, you know, content for them, that kind of thing, where they're not having to pay top dollar to the people who have a hundred thousand, a million followers, whatever it is, and rather taking that back to the original sources right of here's just some user created content that we can put out there that makes it look like it's from our real customers but it's not so whether that's an illustration or whatever it is i think there's a lot of room
0: the way that i think we can rephrase this question as you were answering i was thinking of this it's like think about all the factors that you're up against as an influencer yeah right So like influencer, as we used to know it, 2014, 16, 17, you had a DSLR camera and you posted consistently, you're practically, if you had a following, you were an influencer, right? And I think now the following numbers are less important. There's been so many articles out about this that it's like, it's not about reach. It's not about engagement, it's about revenue. The brands wanna go back to making revenue. And if they can make higher revenue on less cost, AKA more money in the bank for less expense, because the other problem you run into Is if you're an influencer and you're slinging products all the time and I own a brand, the probability that my stuff not only gets seen, heard, but somebody makes a purchase when they're promoting nine other products that week, like your chances are slim, right?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And especially in the age of Amazon, as we're, you know, in Prime Day currently, it's one of those things where, again, it's like, depends on the size of the business you're helping, right? Right as you know, from your birthday trip and, you know, having people reach out to you to put together the gift bags, it really is smaller businesses that are looking for that promotion. And they don't have top dollar to pay, but they want the help. So I think there's a lot of room there too to grow and help small businesses. And maybe they're not at the
0: top of your highest paying clients, but they're out there and they're looking for help. Right. I think there's also a fallacy of like, If you're a small business brand, if you could just get that one mega influencer to mention you, then you'd make all these sales. Like, do you have the infrastructure to make all those sales? Is that sustainable for you? Do you even have enough product to sell all that stuff? Like, if you're sitting around waiting for Alex Earl to talk about your mascara, like, I don't even know that that's even your best strategy because you're not creating like a community around it. And I think a lot of the brands you work with and a lot of the brands that I work with, it's about kind of how do you create like a brand, like an essence of a brand around a product or a service or an idea or a person or a lifestyle. Influencers, you're selling your lifestyle more than anything and you're inspiring people by your lifestyle. You're curating your lifestyle. But if you just like went down the line and promoted every single product on Amazon Prime Day, we'd be like, ew. So how do you help your clients? Like what are some of the bigger questions or concerns that your clients have that you've been helping them walk through recently?
1: So with mine, a lot of them are... Looking to continue to grow it, but eventually have someone else take over their business. Interesting. Yeah. So, one of my clients is 67. And, you know, I ask her, I'm like, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? You know, 10 years, you're going to be 77. Are you still going to be doing this? And right now, her answer is yes. But, you know, she's like, I'd like to be the face of it. And so, I think, you know, you work a lot with brands, but it's also very interesting because I feel like with brands, You know, they're trying to make a profit, they're in it to win it basically. And they don't have as much of you know they have margins and everything else, right? Whereas with an influencer who's making money, and if you can identify who those are, whether you're a brand designer, whether you're a website designer, illustrator, whatever it is, I'm telling you they need the help. And you can easily sit there and go through those influencers who have disposable income. Again, my niche is has that disposable income, they're looking to grow it, they want the help, they're trying to step back a little bit. And with that being said, you know, all the time they're sitting there saying, okay, you know, how can I have someone take over my social media? How can I grow my brand? How can I change up my look, right? Because they want to be on trend and modern peeping up. And so, you know, a lot of them want a new like logo or overhaul, or they're looking for graphics for a Email freebie and that may be something that you could step in and help with. So there's a lot of space within the influencer world of job opportunities where you can step in and help them and make their lives easier. And maybe something that you haven't even thought about, an area outside of brands. When you first started, where did the bulk of your clients come from? It came from influencers. So I used to at my old job gift all these women and I would gift them clothing. And then I had developed the relationships. And so when I left, I reached out to them and said, Hey, listen, I know you're running a blog. I know, you know, you're doing a great job. Do you need any additional help? And then that opened the door and they were like, can you do X, Y, Z? Oh, and then can you do this? And do you know someone for this? And you know, it just kind of spiraled because a lot of them, you probably don't realize it, but are a one person team. They might have an assistant or two, but. They need the help, and there's no cap on how much money they can make, how much money you can make from them. Mm-hmm. And that's the nice thing compared to brands, right? They are, you know, probably have a marketing budget, probably pretty limited. Whereas influencers, if you can prove you're making them money, you're going to get paid more.
0: Mm-hmm. I just had this conversation today with one of our clients. We're going to be producing her podcast. She's an influencer, and we talked about, you know, her ad placement for her podcast. And I said, what are you charging for just like a static post? And she's like, a couple thousand dollars. I was like, great. Then go sell an ad in your podcast for that or half that. I said, but how many ad spots would you have to sell to cover your costs on us? Like you're paying us to produce your podcast. Like let's get you to a net even or let's get you in the green. If your go get is thirty thousand dollars to produce your podcast, then like you have those relationships. I said, think about the ones that are going to be an organic storytelling for you, right? Like if you're making an episode about healthy foods, like go back to those brands that you worked with. And you say, Hey, remember when I did this really nice piece of content for you? Like, do you want an opportunity to get ad placement in this podcast? And I average between 10 and 20,000 views on my stories. So on my reels and my posts alone, you're going to by factor of sponsoring this podcast, you're going to get more social exposure because I'm going to post about the podcast on my socials. Like those two things go hand in hand. Right. So I think finding those opportunities as well, but it goes back to what you said of like the importance of maintaining relationships is so key. And the fact that you were their point of contact at the company and that when you left, you had the ability to reach out. I think a lot of people who message me are like, Oh, I don't know where to get clients. I don't know where to get clients. It's like, reach out, ask. Yeah. You know, like I think it's a lot easier than people think. I would agree. And I think the moment you
1: like find one, the door starts opening. So like, I remember, and you know, maybe you can do this, maybe you can't. But when I first started, right, I had people who I definitely, you know, got from referral. But then what I did was take some of those contacts that I had built really great relationships with and offer a free consult call or offer something free initially to them just to I only did it to two or three, and then they enjoyed the services so much they said, oh my gosh, like we love you, I'm gonna share about you. next thing you know, like they're posting in you know now LTK Facebook group of thousands and thousands of influencers and that's how I got connected with Lindsay Silverman. she saw it and then I you know responded to something in her Facebook group. And so I think that's one important thing of don't think your network is only people you know think of it as people you may or may not know and i think you and i have both learned that these facebook groups are really a hub for jobs and people are constantly asking yes and so i think that's maybe like the most understated like resource out there that if you're looking for business like go join the afternoon brand join an influencers facebook group whatever you you know there's a variety of them out there but that to me is where you have like your prime target client. They're just sitting there waiting, looking for someone to, you know, we were just talking about travel advisors. They're just sitting there waiting. And it's like, I've got one on hand that I just email.
0: And I think it's like also plug for Kiss My Aesthetic podcast group. I've talked about this on the podcast before. Kiss My Aesthetic, great resource. If I'm talking to a client on the phone, they're not a good fit for our team for whatever reason. It's such a olive branch. Then be like, hey, we can't work on your stuff. But I have this whole Facebook group and there's, Almost at this point, there's six and a half thousand people in that group. Like, somebody's going to be able to help you and pretty instantaneously. But also, I think the thing that's brilliant about Facebook groups is that you get a real, realistic endorsement if that person's paying attention. Like, if somebody, like, in the early days, like, Lindsay's so good about this, right? Like, if you say, like, oh, I'm looking for so and so for email, and Sydney goes, and you hop in, and you go, hey, like, I do this, da da da. The fact that you can get Lindsay in there to be like, thousand percent support this like you have to work with her like that endorsement is a lot of ways referrals it's just an extension of your referral network right because like you're not going to endorse somebody that didn't do a good job for you right (laughs) and i tell this to people on discovery calls too i was like listen like if you want to post about your job in the facebook group go for it if i see someone pop in that i think would be a good fit i'll let you know so like if somebody that i've been following or watching their brand and that's a message to all the designers in the group as well like If you're active and you participate and you watch the TikTok lives and you post really solid work and I'm aware of you, I'm way more likely to refer you because I can see what you've been able to do. And then I can like absolutely recommend your business or your service, right? So I think like you never know who's watching. Number one, Facebook groups are totally underrated for jobs. I completely agree with you. Number two. And number three, like if you do a good job by someone, there's no reason they wouldn't endorse you or refer you in that way.
1: Right. And I think one thing too to know is that a lot of the times go back to those clients you've worked with before and say, hey, you know, if you're looking for work, do you know of anybody that's looking for services like I provided you? And I guarantee you they have people because I've gone back to different ones before. I'm just like, hey,
0: like, do you need help with this again? It never hurts to circle back. Right. There's a perfect example of this. My team, I was talking with them like a few weeks ago, I just got back from the trip. I said, you know, where are we at? What do we want to do with social, right? Because as you know, like I do the branding and then I have the team to help run the socials. And then I kind of oversee things from a creative direction standpoint, but project manage it. But it's really my team that's creating the reels and the stories and the posts and the captions and da, 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 that fits the big vision. So I said like, oh, the feedback I got from everyone is we want more work. And I was like, great, who do we want to work for? And they're like, Michelle, why don't you just reach out to everyone you just worked with on your birthday trip? (laughs) And I was like wow, that's a really good idea. <laughs> I was like, that is brilliant. Because I know the product. I know the owner. I've already done a solid for them already by getting them all the content. That's like, really, it's not that much of a reach. There's a trust thing there. And I think to your point, like, go back to your context and say, Hey, I'm starting this business. And I'd love to give you a free consult and give you some suggestions. Because I notice you don't do XYZ thing. And I think you could make a lot of money here. Like who's gonna say no to that?
1: Yeah. And that's the thing of like, especially as you start small, and as you're trying to grow, like, I like to say, go to your kitchen, go to your house, go to your living room, wherever you are, and look around. Number one, look at what products you're using constantly. Number two, look at the businesses you're frequenting, like restaurants. I mean, you know, that's prime, especially if you're a designer, like, so many need their menus updated. It makes me cringe if they use Comic Sans one more time. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, there's a variety of places of just make a list. Like, sit down, make a list of all these places that you visit, that you go to all the time. And I saw it happen with a coffee shop here in town. I kind of started noticing, and then next thing you know, like two girls who have a social media company pop in, and all of a sudden they're doing content creation for them and doing, you know, recipe reels and all this stuff. And it it just took one conversation to happen of being like, "Here's what I can do for you," and proving your worth, basically, and then they got hired.
0: Yeah, I think it is way more simple than people think that it is. And also, you can offer something without having actually experienced thing. And I think that that's something that people misconstrue. And I want to clarify that. What I mean is, there's always a day one of offering something, right? Like, I didn't come out the womb making logos, like I had to learn how to make a logo. So there's a client out there that was my first ever logo client, right? So Think about it that way, but I think the question that I get all the time on TikTok, all the time in Instagram DMs is people do not know how to price themselves at all for anything ever. And my take, and I'll see if you agree, I think you might, is that you have to price yourself in a way that obviously you're getting paid for your time and your skill set, but that you have to understand that when you don't have experience doing a thing, you are a risk for that person to hire you. Like they are understanding that although you're at a lower price point, you may not have all your bells and whistles figured out yet. So the first classic example of this is the first logo I ever did, I did for $500. Like now we're going to end up, this next proposal that we're sending out is for $17,000 for a logo. So obviously it's more than just a logo. It's a whole brand, da, 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 da. But I could not have come out the gate at 21 years old, 20 years old saying like, oh yeah, logo is (laughs) $17,000. Like that just is not realistic. I didn't know what file types were. I didn't know how to lay things out. I didn't understand any of the things that I do now about logo design. So what's your best advice for someone who's a freelancer who's getting into this space that's like, I am just struggling to make ends meet because I just don't know how to price myself. I know that's a huge topic. That is a huge topic.
1: So like in my case, I had context, right? So at my old job, we had contractors we worked with. So I kind of when I had Told them what my plan was. I just asked, How do you do this? What are you charging? And I think there's not a lot of transparency. I think a lot of people like to keep it hush hush of like what they do, what they charge, how they do it. And if anyone asks me, I will tell them straight up how I got to where I am with what I'm charging. This is what I started with. Here's where I'm at. Here's kind of how it's evolved over the three years. But I think one, and I've learned this with like influencer negotiations with brands. One of the best things you can do is if you don't know how to price it, ask them what their budget is. Because from there, you can sit there and calculate backwards of, okay, my time is worth this much. Here's what I can do within that. And I think especially if you're starting out, you always want to over-deliver, right? And exceed their expectations. So that to me is key of being able to you know, sit there and I would say... I mean, and tell me if you agree or don't agree, but I would say starting out like depends on who you're working for and the level that you're doing somewhere between 30 to $50 an hour is pretty much standard.
0: If you're green, if you're super green, like you've never offered it before, you're just going to have to learn on the fly. Yeah, I would say that that's accurate. And then I think from
1: there, like as you move up, right, you're kind of between 100 to 150 is kind of that next price point, maybe 75 to 150. And then from there, you know, I think it's kind of once you get past 150 an hour that you're starting to get into need to get someone who can do the work at a lower price for you. And then you're making a profit from it. And so I think that's kind of similar with how, you know, we both have grown our businesses of like, you just get to this point where it's like, okay if someone's going to pay me X amount of money, like I'm going to need to have help to help you know execute other things at a lower cost because it just doesn't make sense to be spending all my time
0: on this that's so time consuming. Exporting files, great example. Staying in your zone of genius. We talk about that a lot. And I think that the difference there is like, it depends, there's so many factors. It's really hard to like blanket say that these are the ways that you should go because there's also this methodology of like, charging hourly, you're punishing yourself for being good and fast at your job. So for our work, which is way more project based, not retainer based, which is we're going to deliver you your branding, I would never in a million years charge hourly, because that deliverable, the value that it brings to the company is so much more than the time that it took me to make it totally, you know what I mean? So you do get kind of caught in this gray area. But I think you're right. I think If you're pricing yourself for something you've never done before and you have no idea how long it's going to take you and you have no process and you have no testimonials, you have no workflows. And what I say is like, you're getting paid to learn. Yes. Now you're getting paid to learn. And I think that there is some humility in that, right? Of like, hey, we've never done this before. We still do it with my team. We're producing two podcasts. We've never produced podcasts. We've produced my podcast, but we've never produced podcasts before. How do you price something like that? So we came in on purpose under market. We said, but we're not going to be the cheapest, but we're also not going to be the most expensive because we don't have the experience to garner top of market pricing. So, these first two, three podcasts that we're going to be producing are going to be at this rate. And then we have an understanding that the next podcast that we sign to produce, we're going to have a 25 to 50% increase on that price point because that's now going to say, like, well, we already have these three in our arsenal. Now we know what we're doing. Now we know what the struggles are. We could not anticipate that all of our clients, like, we're going to take off the entire summer to travel with their kids. (laughs) And like now the podcast is delayed. So that's why you don't really hear me talking about them. But these are things that we need to learn, right? So it's like, is this relationship that we're making with these clients to produce their podcasts? Are these two month contracts? Are these 12 month contracts? Because now that's a totally different use of our time because now we've been having weekly meetings, but we're not making any progress. And all of a sudden that project fee is a lot less because our time alone Is now like eating away at that bottom line, right? So it's like you learn all these things. I think you got to start like playing with all the chess pieces. Have you had something like that happen in your business? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know,
1: it starts off as one thing and then it evolves and you're just like, okay, what do I do? And so I think if you, again, going back to the original question of like, how do you establish what you're charging at the very base level, if you are going to do a project base, start, take what you would think you would charge hourly, right? And take that times it by generally, however many hours, right? Because at some point, if you're going to offer this, you have to have had a little bit of practice, and then take that number, and then build in some additional hours, right? That you know, like, there's always something that comes up. And I'm sure you already do this, you know, but like, whether it's a hiccup, and you know, like, you're waiting on them to get you stuff and your time's, you know, ticking or whatever it is. If you build in some additional time when you're factoring in that like project price, I think it helps. And so that's where, you know, like for me, because all my clients are recurring, there's some that I have set at like a set fee and this is what happens. And then after we go over that, you know, I charge them hourly. And then there's some times where I have clients and they're just like, the work varies so much month to month, there's a general base of it. But then it could be 13 blog posts, it could be five blog posts, it really just depends on the time of year. And then you know, from there, it's like, it's somewhat project based. But I think that's the thing of like, don't be afraid to do project based and then build them hourly if there's additional time spent. You can do a
0: combo. And I think part of being a business owner is having those hard conversations of like knowing when the scope is too much, knowing when you are getting underpaid for what you're delivering. Like, I think you helped me a lot with this with some of my clients. It's like, Michelle, when you do the math, you're paying yourself like 12 bucks an hour. And I was like, oh (laughs) shit, you're totally right. I was like, yeah, I should probably rethink that. right? Because you have to know your time spend. And as annoying as it is, time tracking is one of the things I've implemented with my team this year. And it's been so insightful because you start to see where your time suck is like okay i cannot spend this much time on calls you know what i mean or i cannot spend this many days recording the podcast <laughs> like, <laughs> like you got to figure out like where is that ebb and flow and kind of like what is the heavy design lift what is the heavy correspondence lift versus internal like how much time are you reviewing contracts and creating proposals and doing all these things and how many leads are you getting and how many are you closing like it's all the stuff that's like it's the nitty gritty that people i don't think talk about enough but it is your time. And so when you are charging, you have a retainer client and you have to charge hourly, you have to take that into consideration. It's not just what your time is on the one task that you're doing for them. Exactly. But it's saying like, yes, I spent the time doing this, but I also am able to do it this fast because of all these things that I know. And that's what garners your higher rate. And I think one thing with that, don't forget to factor in your
1: communication time. Because at first I was like, oh no, like I'll only charge, you know, X amount for it. And then I think that's where I learned that lesson really quickly of if people want to have access to you, whether that's texting, email, whatever it is, then they need to pay for it. And that's where building that into that rate is really helpful because like you said, you know, you're having calls and they're going nowhere, but guess what? That's still time you are working on it. Like, don't discredit that.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's something that, again... It's something that you just constantly have to keep your eyes on, just like your vitals with your health, right? Like you're gonna want to know when, like, your cholesterol is high, and you're da da da. Like you, <laughs> you need to know those things about your body. Like you should know them about your business and know where strategically you have either room to grow or to optimize or to scale up, scale down. Like, isn't this just so much fun being a business owner? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, like you know, when we hopped
1: on this, we we're like, "Are you taking new clients?" And I was like. I really want to say yes, but currently, like where I'm at, the answer is no, And I know that going into next year, I'm traveling quite a bit, and as well, the answer's still going to be no, as much as I would like to say yes." And so I think it's, like you said, it's having those hard conversations with yourself as a business owner of like, for my mental health, everything else, like once you kind of get to that point where you have a team of you're just like, what makes the most sense for me right now?
0: Let's talk about the travel stuff. You've gone on so many amazing trips recently and I am delighted every time that you go. What do you feel that traveling brings to you as a business owner that you didn't have before you started traveling as much as you do? Besides that you just enjoy it. You just like love it. Yeah, I mean... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, besides that. But I
1: really do think it like helps you to open up your mind of just different cultures. I mean, we went out in Mallorca and met up with people. And I think we met five different nationalities. And all of a sudden, it was like, Oh, my gosh, I'm learning how you do things and like, what's special to you. And so I think that and then I know you've talked about this so much with art history and stuff. But your surroundings, you look around and you're just there's inspiration everywhere, whether it's from copywriting of how you would describe things, illustrations of, you know, with the Amalfi collection with Hotel Lobby Candle of What that could look like. I feel reinvigorated every time I travel. And I think it also gives me perspective, reminds me to slow down and like what's important in life. And I think that helps me as a business owner go back to nothing I am doing is life or death. Yeah. And
0: it's marketing.
1: (laughs) It's marketing. And sometimes I feel like I'm not making a difference in the world with it. You know, I'm just doing fun stuff. But then I go back to no. This is helping that business owner provide for their family, provide for themselves, whatever it is. And so every time I go, I never want to come back. And then, you know, I do. And then I'm just reminded why I do what I do. And I'm reminded that I started my business and I worked this hard to live the life that I've always dreamed of. I remember probably last year, I started like heavily traveling June, 2022. And I remember like the years leading up to that, I would see all these influencers and I'd be like, How are you doing this for all these people? I'm just like, How are you going to Europe multiple times a year? Me? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're going again? Are you serious? And like, <laughs> I have now become that person where people are like, You're going back and I just booked a trip for December. And, you know, it's, I think, grow your business and set your business up, whether you're, have a family at home you're trying to, you know, support or whatever it looks like, whatever you want to do long-term, like, and whatever you're seeing on Instagram or wherever it is that you're, you know, looking at and being like, man, I wish that was my life. It is possible, but it does take a lot of hard work and dedication. And, you know, there are times and I'm traveling and I'll work at the same time, And, you know, I'm like, sorry, I can't, I have to take this call or sorry, I have to do X, Y, Z, but that's a small sacrifice to be in a foreign country.
0: (laughs) Totally. To be drinking an Aperol Spritz on a terrace in Italy, like it's the trade-off, right? And I think you and I kind of both hit that moment in our last travels where we're like, all right, I don't think I can do another, like sit in a lounge chair kind of day. Like I'm kind of itching to kind of get back to work because I think we both take a lot of pride in what we do. But then on the flip side too, it's like, I came back and I'm like looking at my to-do list, like, oh my gosh. But then I had to remind myself, like last Tuesday, you were on a boat tour in Mallorca. Like you can suck it the fuck up. You can suck it up. And I like that because I think about it with like how in corporate America, you have your work week and your weekend and you're working Monday through Friday and then your weekend you get to enjoy. And my structure is just different. I'm like month on heavy work, two weeks travel, two weeks of weekend, two weeks worth of Saturdays and Sundays to just do whatever I want. But like, how lucky am I that I get to roll out of bed on Saturday at 1030, watch the Kardashians next to my dog and make money? Oh, yeah. That's cool.
1: And as we said before, if you are not making money now, there is lots of money to be made. And, you know, like, again, book a call with Michelle, reach out to me, whatever it is. And totally, we can literally within five minutes, give you a bajillion business ideas of how you could make more money. And It really can change your life, and I think that's what I just keep remembering. And I remind myself I was not doing this up until a year ago, and that's where now I'm like, oh, I'm that person, and I don't post it on social media other than stories. But you know, I'm like, okay, like I get it, like I could do this,
0: right? You see the appeal. No, this is a perfect segue because I actually had my call with Berta today about the podcast, and we're going to be using this new tool called SpeakPipe, which allows people to call in and leave a voicemail. So if you have a business and you're looking for feedback, because I would love to have you back on Sydney and have us just the whole episode about brainstorming where people call in and they're like, this is my business is what I'm struggling with. And then we get to kind of like diagnose it and give a recommendation. That sounds so fun. So we'll make sure that that link is linked in the episode show notes. I don't have it memorized yet. Sorry, everyone. But speak pipe, you'll be able to leave a voicemail. So I think that that kind of stuff, it's for us, it's like brain candy. Like I just envision like, this is how other people feel about sports. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Like when you're really passionate about a sport or sport team, or you're like really passionate about music, our passion just like happens to be business.
1: (laughs) You know what I mean? And travel. Yeah. And like you said, I'd love to come back on and do that. And I think that's where, you know, we've brainstormed of, I think once you're in it and you know, you're know you kind of seeing things day to day, sometimes it is hard to pull back from your own business and be like, okay, where am I at? Like you said, do a check and be like, okay, what am I enjoying? What am I hating? And then going from there and having someone else kind of give you a little bit of perspective of being like, hey, I right, think you could do this. It really does help.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to turn your own question back on yourself. Where do you see Seaside Creative going in five years and 10 years from now?
1: So I actually don't think about that.
0: Ever? Ever. Okay. You're just with the flow.
1: I'm with the flow. I think landscape changes a lot. I mean, also, my personal life could look very different in five to 10 years. And so I have learned that the things I thought I would be doing, it's not what I'm doing now. Like, it's so far from that. And so I've just learned to plan for the unexpected. And of course, you know, there's perspective of like, okay, you know, with AI coming in and all of that, like I'm seeing you do all this mid journey stuff. I'm like, hmm, okay, how's that gonna change things? So, again, the landscape I think is only going to continue to change that for me to be able to predict, like, these are gonna be my services and everything else would be really hard. But I will say the one thing I do know for a fact is I do not want to ever grow more than four people plus myself on the team. So, five total. I don't love managing people it's not my strong suit. Like I'd rather be more solo than not. Right. And so that's one thing that as I continue to grow, I keep reminding myself of this is where I want to be at. And this is like the goal.
0: Right. And summer's in the Mediterranean, duh. Yeah. The whole I'm, summer. <laughs> pretty much. It's, yeah, it's happening. That's a goal definitely European summers, and then we'll have to figure everything else out. Well, thank you so much. Everybody, please follow Sydney. Can you tell us where to follow you, find you, get your advice, stuff like that?
1: Yes, I rarely post on my feed, mainly on stories when I'm traveling, but it's at Seaside Creative, S-E-E for my initials. And then my website, The Cobbler That Doesn't Have Shoes, it's not updated because I'm not looking for new clients. So little bit of deterrent, but one day it'll get updated. Really, maybe Instagram stories. You can find me. Instagram stories.
0: Yeah. Or find her through me. Or say, Michelle introduced me to Sydney. And then I know she checks her email. So (laughs) I'll connect you via email. Well, thank you so much for chit chatting. Lovely as always. This was a great episode, I think. Yeah. Lots of helpful nuggets in here. I'm glad. I don't remember. I blacked out. I don't remember what I said. <laughs> I don't. You know what? Every time that Josephina gives me the video edits of the episodes, I'm like, did I really say that? <laughs> so I absolutely don't remember what I talk about. So same. Well, thanks so much. And we'll catch you next time, everybody. Bye. <music> Thanks for joining us for the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. Don't forget to follow along and leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We'll see you in the Kiss My Aesthetic Facebook group for years and years of behind the scenes content and over 5,000 connections with fellow creatives. For show notes from today's episode, please visit mkwcreative.co slash podcast. This episode was edited by Berta Wired and theme music comes from Eliza Vera and Nathan Menard. Catch you next time.